Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our coronary CTA quiz cases and discussions. And let's start with this patient, 53-year-old with a history of progressive shortness of breath. Diagnostic evaluation with echo showed a high-velocity shunt felt to be from an arterial source, and a CTA was ordered. When you look quickly, we see the patient's left main and LAD and right coronary arteries, and we see some plaque, particularly well seen in the LAD. And then we look a little bit further, and you say, okay, what's that funny little vessel near the uh, ascending aorta? And what am I talking about? That little thing there. So we look at it a little bit closer. What is that vessel? And we try to follow it. And when you try to follow it, you see it's sitting right there between the pulmonary artery, or near the pulmonary artery, and uh, you want to look at it a bit closer so you rotate the data set. And now you can see there's the vessel going between the aorta and the pulmonary artery. What exactly is that vessel and where is it going? This 3D mapping very nicely shows you the orientation of that vessel. Then we look at it and follow it a little bit more closely. You can see this vessel goes literally on top of the pulmonary artery. And there's a vessel going both to the right and left of the pulmonary artery. But you see what looks like a tubular structure right on top. And I rotate that around a little bit. And there it is here. And there it is here. You can see it very nicely. What is that? Well, we can look at it again a little bit closer. You can look at some videos. And you can see as you go through the video, try to follow that vessel upward. It goes between the pulmonary artery and ascending aorta. And here's another video, again, rotating that vessel. And then you can see I'm going to show you a few other visuals. It's a really nice multiple uh, interactive video showing you this very unusual vessel which tracks between the ascending aorta and pulmonary artery and literally seems to drain into the patient's pulmonary artery. So I'm going to ask you a question then. What is the most likely diagnosis? You do get the feeling it's an anomalous vessel of some sort, right? So really, what are we looking at? It's a funny vessel going right into the pulmonary artery. We know anomalies of the coronary arteries, be it left or right. There are a number of different ones. We know what an aneurysm is. What is a fistula? Well, again, let me walk you through the images. There's the vessel. We track it upward and around and up to the pulmonary artery. And that's a beautiful example of a coronary artery fistula. This patient was not felt to be a candidate for percutaneous intervention and was taken to surgery and had two visible communications, one from the ramus intermedius, which came up on the left side, which we saw. And this was a very long serpiginous fistula. There was another one which came from the left main coronary and came to the right side of the main pulmonary artery and both were ligated. CT showed you this very, very nicely. So let's talk a little bit about fistulae. Not that common, but what's the most common cause? And here's a few choices. And in fact, the answer is the most common cause is congenital. And then if I asked you which is the most common coronary involved, you could think a bit, but the answer is the right coronary artery. And some basic facts. Abnormal communication between a coronary artery and another vascular structure, be it artery, vein, or chamber, is a coronary artery fistula. The most common drainage is to the right ventricle, and right atrium and pulmonary artery follow. In this case, it was pulmonary artery. But drainage can be almost anywhere, coronary situs, SVC, as well as the LA and LV. 
The right coronary artery is most commonly involved, more common than the left coronary. In fact, two-thirds of the cases are right coronary. Coronary artery, as in this case, is dilated and tortuous. As in this case, surgery is usually the treatment of choice. Patients can present with hemodynamic issues ranging from uh, equivalence to, uh, to ASD or VSD to myocardial ischemia. So a real range of presentations. And more than 90% of coronary artery fistula drain into the right atrium, coronary sinus, or right ventricle. I mentioned the etiology a moment ago, the congenital is most trauma, but it can be due to trauma. It can be due to angioplasty, a complication of bypass, and a complication of cardiac transplantation. Each of those are possibilities. Coronary artery fistulas are often detected incidentally at autopsy. One series just under 0.2%. But as I mentioned, it can have significant clinical presentations. It's often not considered a cause of cardiomyopathy or congestive heart failure or ischemia or atrial fib, but it can cause any and all of them. 3D imaging is very helpful. It's very easy to recognize this both from a diagnostic perspective as well as from a therapy perspective. Very, very important. Again, you can see this case was very, very subtle. Some cases are more obvious. Here's a patient with a right coronary artery fistula. Look at the size of their right coronary artery. It's humongous. That's super easy. The one we had was easy to miss when you looked at the axials only, but in 3D, that very unusual tracking vessel made life very easy indeed. Okay, next case. This patient had a history of uh, coronary artery disease as well as GERD, developed chest pain after shoveling snow. My advice, don't shovel snow. On the day of admission, she woke up at 3 a.m. with severe chest pain associated with nausea and diaphoresis. Cardiac cath was done, which showed a normal left trunk, normal LAD, and acute left circumflex occlusion, and she was transferred to Hopkins for further evaluation. So I'm going to ask you a question. What? Look at the images carefully. And when you look carefully, you see the left main coronary, you see the LAD, and then you see the abrupt cutoff where the circ should be, right? Very nicely shown. Here it is on MIP as well. And here's another set of images. What is that structure just beyond where the circumflex is occluded? There's a round circular structure, and I'll show it to you in a couple more views. So I'm going to ask you, what's the key finding beyond the occlusion of the circ? Is it a fistula? Is it an aneurysm? Is it an anomalous coronary artery or significant stenosis? Let's look again. There's the uh, circ. It's occluded. But then there's this round circular structure right past the occlusion which has rim-like calcification when shown on coronal or oblique images. And so the correct answer then, that's a coronary artery aneurysm. This is a great case. The patient had a uh, circ occlusion, but then had an aneurysm. And in fact, when you look carefully, there were two aneurysms. The patient, in terms of treatment, it was treated conservatively because it was felt that intervention outweighed the risks. Um, the risk was just too high versus the benefits, and the patient was discharged on a cocktail of different medications. So let's speak a little bit about coronary artery aneurysms. They're not that uncommon, but we do see them. And if I ask you worldwide the most common cause of coronary artery aneurysm, you would then answer Kawasaki's disease. Okay. If I asked you um, what the most common cause in the U.S. was, that would be atherosclerotic disease. There's a number of causes of coronary artery aneurysms. Kawasaki's and atherosclerotic are top of the list. 
but Takayashu's infection, trauma, polyrhizinodosa, Lois Dietz, and a number of other things can cause coronary artery aneurysms. So let's take a step back. What's the definition of a coronary artery aneurysm? Well, it's a dilatation of 50% or greater in diameter compared to adjacent arterial segments. Most commonly, these aneurysms are involve the right coronary artery, so coronary artery fistulas, and aneurysms, right coronary is the most common. That's probably counterintuitive. You would have guessed the LAD. And then the LAD and CERC are the next two most frequent for aneurysms. Coronary artery aneurysms are uncommon, incidence of about 1.6%. In some angio series, up to 5%. Our experience is probably under 1%. And in fact, as you do more and more coronary CTAs in the ER setting, we have a lot of negative studies, the percent that you're going to see an aneurysm continues to go down. Now, I mentioned the most common cause worldwide is Kawasaki's disease. What is Kawasaki's disease? It's an acute febrile illness, also known as mucutaneous lymph node syndrome. It occurs in children typically under 5, peak of about 2, more common in males over females, and more common in Asians, especially Japanese. Cardiac abnormalities are significant. Yes, they get coronary artery aneurysms, but they get pericardial effusion and mitral regurgitation, and myocarditis and aortitis and congestive heart failure. Aneurysms can be single or multiple. Here's an 11-year-old with a history of Kawasaki's at eight months years of age. So this is 10 years earlier, he had Kawasaki's disease. Now he has chest pain as a 11-year-old and there's an aneurysm in the patient's LAD. I'll zoom up on that. Classic. Child with an aneurysm, you got to be thinking about Kawasaki's. And they're often multiple, as I mentioned, and they're large. Here's a 17-year-old, multiple aneurysms, partially calcified, nicely seen. Or in this case, here's a patient with a right coronary artery aneurysm. Almost looks like a cardiac mass can be confusing. Right coronary artery said is the most common, but there it is. It's an aneurysm. Take over right coronary. Atherosclerotic disease in the left, an LED. But look at that lesion. So again, very, very important and easily missed, or in this case, potentially mistaken for some type of mass like a sarcoma or adenopathy, something else. Coronary artery aneurysms, complications, thrombosis, embolic phenomena, AV fistulas, spasm, rupture, hemopericardium. The ruptures, and that's really a very ominous sign. Management, we think about medical management with the use of anticoagulation and antiplatelet agents, but if that doesn't work, then stents are typically placed. Or you can do bypass grafting, so it depends on the scenario. But a very nice case, and again, important to look for and important thing to understand. Okay, another patient. This patient had a history of depression and anxiety, chest pain, and again, of course, you're saying, well, this patient uh, probably is going to have a negative CTA. She had stabbing chest pain, but she's only 38, and perhaps, you know, it's nothing. Well, a nuclear stress test was normal. Patient still had symptoms. We did a CTA. And look at the CTA. Look at the patient's vessels. You're looking at the patient's right coronary artery, and then it bifurcates. Classic, the right coronary, but what's that vessel going from right to left, going between the ascending aorta and main pulmonary artery? And I'll follow it some more. And there it is going to the left. And also, you notice that you didn't see a left main coronary artery in a classic location. 
And here we're going to look at it a little bit differently. Now you can see the right coronary splitting into two. And when you look at that in 3D, you can see the right coronary artery giving a branch that, in fact, is the left main coronary artery. And you can see that when you look at the sequences of images and you look at the motion, you can see very nicely as you track down the patient's right coronary artery, whether you're looking in 2D or you're looking in 3D, the right coronary artery bifurcates, giving rise to the left, anterior, left main coronary artery as well as the right main coronary artery. And so if I asked you what the best diagnosis in this case is after you've looked at all of these images, it'd be kind of easy. Which one of these anomalies is it? Look at the images again. There's the left coming off the right beautifully seen across the full images. And again, I'll play the motion again. And so what we have is the left main coronary rising off the proximal right coronary, a beautiful anomaly. And here it is with a schematic drawing. So now let me ask you about this anomalous vessel. The course is considered what? There's four typical courses, transeptal, prepulmonic, retroaortic, or interarterial. Well, this is an interarterial course because it's going between the ascending aorta and pulmonary artery. The left main coronary, when you look at it, the left main coronary artery arises from the sinus of Alsalva, right coronary, or a common trunk with the RCA. In 0.1% of patients, and in 75% of these, the patient's left main had an interarterial course. That's exactly what this article is describing in our patient. Left main coronary off the right coronary pathways between the aortic and pulmonary artery, the level of pulmonary valve or right ventricular outflow tract, that's us. Transverse the upper vent intraventricular septum, course anterior to the pulmonary artery and right ventricular outflow tract, called a prepulmonic course, or between the aortic root and the left atrium, retroaortic course. And it was important to remember. The transeptal, prepulmonic, and retroaortic courses are considered benign or clinically insignificant. Intraarterial course is considered significant, often referred to as a malignant anomaly and is potentially lethal and can lead to sudden death. It's very important for you to understand the four different courses that we speak about, but that intraarterial, aorta, pulmonary artery, when the vessel tracks there, whether it's a right coronary coming off the left, or is the left coronary coming off the right, those are the ones that are problematic. A retroaortic course is not going to be critical. Outcome in this patient, the patient was treated, uh, there was consideration about surgery, reimplantation. The surgeons had substantial worries. This patient was treated conservatively. And you can see some other examples. Here's a right coronary artery off the left cusp, interarterial course, very nicely seen in this example. And Here's a few more views of that. And then here's another example. And here's a case, again, looking at the, uh, where the vessels are coming from. You can see in this case, the patients, you can see the tracking very nicely of the right coronary and the LAD. And again, the issues coming off a common cusp, and in this case, being considered a malignant configuration. All right, let's try one more case. This is a patient with 25-year-old with chest pain, young patient, cardiac CT. The thought was a coronary artery anomaly. And you look at these images, what do you see? Look at the pulmonary artery. What is coming off the pulmonary artery? And here you can see it with a little bit of motion uh, in 4D. What is that vessel coming off the patient's pulmonary artery? And if you look at it 
a bit closer, here it is here. It's a coronary artery off the pulmonary artery. And I can show you that in many different perspectives. But I'll make it easy. I'll ask you the question. What's the best diagnosis? Coronary artery aneurysm, a fistula, anomalous origin, or hypertension? Well, look carefully. You have a, the coronary artery, in this case the left main coronary artery, it's coming off the pulmonary artery. That indeed is impressive. And that's your answer, the anomalous left coronary. But I want you to be more specific. Well, when you're more specific, we already discussed it, it's really the left coronary is coming off the pulmonary artery. And here it is again, if you didn't appreciate it, now appreciate it. Very unusual. Remember, one of the things in evaluating the coronaries is where the vessels originate. You want to look at that first. Is everything where it's supposed to be? The right coronary and the right cusp, and the left main and the left cusp. What other variations are there? And this is a very important diagnosis. This anomalous origin of the coronary off the pulmonary artery is called the Alcalpa syndrome, anomalous origin of left coronary from the pulmonary, can occur in adults or in children. In children, it's said that 90% experience a myocardial infarct and die within the first year of life. And why is that? As pulmonary artery pressure drops after birth, decreased flow to the left ventricular myocardium occurs, which leads to failure in the newborn period, mitral insufficiency, and secondary infarction. Patients die within weeks without intervention. Now, in adults, how did the patients survive? Were they just lucky? Well, to survive past infancy, patients need to develop significant circulation from the right coronary to the left, and flow to the left coronary often is insufficient, and patients can develop arrhythmias and die. So again, in this case, this patient was indeed very lucky. Things that we see in adults, left coronary arises from the left inferior aspect of the main pulmonary artery, then we can see that the right coronary or left are often dilated and tortuous, dilated intercostal collaterals as a pathway, and LV hypertrophy or dilatation may also occur. A good article by Penna about El Capa. Diagnosis can be made with ECG-gated MDCT and MR imaging. Again, sometimes it's clinically suspected. Most of the time, it's just a good CT diagnosis. Now, I spoke to you in the last few cases, make the point, about thinking about where the coronary artery originates, what's its course, and what's its termination. When you talk about anomalies, that's what we talk about. Origin, high takeoff, multiple ostia, single coronary, anomalous origin from the pulmonary, as in this case, origin of the coronary from the opposite or a non-coronary cusp. So in this case, I'm showing you a high takeoff of the coronaries above the classic location. And in this case, the patient had reimplantation of the coronaries to where they should have been to, to begin with. So that was a great case, and hopefully we've now gone through some of the anomalies, we've covered a few other topics, and now we can move on and look at some other topics in coronary CTA. And let's take a few minute break and then come back and let's get back into business. Thanks a lot.